what is going on in the world uh, when a tiny little virus can cause chaos and bring the world to a standstill, well, it seems like a world that's out of control. When 75 years ago, the world could be wrecked by a little man who was an egomaniac who unleashed death on millions, it seems like wickedness is in control. It's the idea that there is a good God in control, just implausible. Well, we've got to a part of the Bible that raises that issue. And we're going to consider it to help us in this troubled time. We're going to see there is real evil power, but God is in control and he's defeated it. And so we should get on his side and trust him in the darkness. We're going through Luke's gospel. I know we've swapped around a bit. We were doing it in the morning, then the evening. and Now we're back to doing it in the mornings. Luke's gospel. And we've got to chapter 22. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. Last time we heard about Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives. And just as Jesus had finished praying, Judas turned up to betray him. Judas leading a gang of thugs and with a prearranged signal, he kissed Jesus. The signal, here's the man for them to grab and tie up and take away. How could that be? How could they tie up the son of God? How could the one who commanded the winds and waves be overpowered? How could it happen? Well, Jesus gives an explanation with a strange statement in verse 53. Let's have a look at Luke 22, verse 53. Actually, I'll read from partway through verse 52. Jesus said, am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. There's the phrase we're going to concentrate on. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Or a more accurate translation would be, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Or we could say, this is your moment. The moment when the powers of darkness are going to unleash the worst they can do. Now, it's the lead up to the death of Jesus. And what happened at the death of Jesus is unique. So we must mainly focus on what happened then and what that means. But what happened at the death of Jesus also makes clear the fundamental principles of how the world works. So we can apply it to our situation and get help in our troubles. So we're going to spend all our time on this intriguing statement by Jesus. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And we need to know five things about it. So we're going to spend the rest of our time going through five things we need to know to understand this phrase. First of all, here's the first one. There are dark powers. Now, I'm told that one of the reasons for young people leaving the church is because they say, well, the church doesn't face up to how much evil there is in the world. The church has this nice sentimental message, but it doesn't face up to just there's so much evil out there. Well, if it's true that people are leaving for that reason, that's really sad because the Bible certainly faces up to the evil in the world. The Bible tells us there are evil spiritual powers. It tells us there are angels that were created good by God, but rebelled against God. 
and they're led by a fallen angel called Satan. The Bible tells us that there are spirits that hate God and so they hate humans because humans are made in the image of God. And they love lies and death and destruction. Now, people tend to make two mistakes about these fallen angels, about these powers of darkness. They tend to either give them too much attention or too little. Some give them too much attention, so every time they sin or are ill or anything goes wrong, they think, oh, it's an evil spirit, oh, it's, it's the devil. That's wrong. Some give them too little attention. Oh, they've seen pictures of some dragon-like creature with a pointy tail and a three-pronged fork, and, well, that's obviously just fairy tales. Dismiss it all. But that's wrong. And that's the more common mistake in the UK today. And it's a mistake that the devil encourages because it suits him. I'll give you an illustration. Children, do you go to school? Well, not at the moment, but when you're normally at school, I'm sure you have a head teacher of your school. Well, I used to teach in a school that had a head teacher called Harry Ray. And when he left the school, in fact, I think it was actually not until after he died, they discovered a surprising secret about Harry Ray, the head teacher. In the Second World War, he had been in what was called the Special Operations Executive, a bit like the SAS, and he was parachuted into France. And there he worked with the French resistance, the people secretly fighting the Germans who'd taken over the country. Harry Ray organised parts of the French resistance. He He was involved in blowing up factories that were producing tanks. And Harry Ray was careful to keep his work secret. The Germans didn't know he was there. It was in his interest for them not to know there was such a person as Harry Ray. He actually did get found out eventually and shot by a German soldier. And that's another exciting story I won't go into now. The point is, it suited him to work secretly. And it suits the powers of darkness if you dismiss them as fairy tales. That just makes it easier for them to manipulate you. There are powers of darkness. And the second thing we need to know about them, secondly, this was their hour. Jesus says in verse 53, this was their hour. Now, children, do you know the story, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? If you've never read it, read it. Great story. And if you read it, you'll find... I'm sorry I'm going to give away some of it to you now, but it will still be a great story to you. You'll find there's this lion who is king called Aslan. And he gets killed on a stone table. There's this witch and these other nightmare-like creatures. And as they kill him, C.S. Lewis, the author, gives you such a feeling of darkness. He's a good writer and he can really make you feel the darkness. And he's quite right, because he's picturing the death of Jesus. And Jesus says, verse 53, this is the hour when darkness reigns. It was the world's darkest hour. Now, of course, by hour, he doesn't mean 60 minutes. He means a certain specified length of time. When darkness reigns. In a dark olive grove that Thursday night, a gang of thugs with flaming torches marched in, tied up and bundled off the man who was the light of the world. They took him to the house of the high priest. 
Outside a fire glowed in the darkness, and inside dark deeds were done. As corrupt rulers got corrupt people to give false witness against Jesus. Having given their false witness and pronounced him guilty, they led him off to another trial. A trial being led by another corrupt and cruel leader, whose soldiers, with no respect for justice, abused the prisoner. And then off they led him to a blood-soaked execution ground, where the public gawped at him and soldiers gambled over his clothes and hypocritical religious leaders mocked him as Jesus hung until he died on a cross. Darkness reigned. The religious elite had got its way, a troublemaker taken out of their way. Pilate has got his way, a threat to the peace and to his job removed. Judas has got his way, a nice fat bag of silver coins. Darkness reigns. But it, it isn't just human. Their powers of darkness are attempting to extinguish the light. Their deathly powers are trying to snuff out the giver of all life. And they knew it wasn't enough just to get him killed. Oh no, they're trying to get him to sin. They're attempting to get the Son of God to sin against his father. And so they bombard him with temptation. Because if God the Son was to sin against God the Father, well, the plan of salvation would be finished. In fact, surely the universe would implode. And so they're trying to overcome with evil the one who is all good. They're trying to smother with grime the one who's perfectly pure. And at 12 noon on that Friday, it looked like they'd succeeded. As an unnatural darkness enveloped the earth. As the source of light faded into blackness because his blood was soaking into the ground and his lungs were running out of oxygen. The source of light was fading into death. And then the darkness swallowed him up as cold and still and dead. He was laid dead in a dark tomb. Darkness reigned. It had unleashed its furious and very real power. And yet, as well as the hour of darkness, thirdly, thirdly, this was God's hour. This was God's hour. I'll tell you about another dark story, The Lord of the Rings. Now, The Lord of the Rings is a book that gives you such a feeling of darkness. There's this dark Lord Sauron and he tries to take over Middle Earth. And there's these little creatures called hobbits and they're trying to defeat him. And it's good versus evil and it's light versus dark. And the film actually even brings this out. Well, it's a film where it's literally really dark until the very end when your screen brightens up with vivid colour. But actually, until the end, you don't know who's going to win. It's not clear because no one is in overall control. Dark versus light and neither of them are in overall control. But that's not what the world is like. It isn't a finely balanced battle with no one in overall control. This was God's hour. 
And we can tell that because a big theme of Luke is everything is working out to fulfill God's plan. Everything is fulfilling prophecies from God. So, for example, back in chapter 18 and verse 31, Jesus said, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that has been prophesied about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. It's all going to be fulfilled. It's the hour of darkness, but it's also God's hour. And Luke shows us everything's working according to God's timetable for destroying the powers of darkness. And now... The climax of that plan has been unleashed and (laughs) it's ironic. Jesus says now's the hour when darkness reigns. Darkness will be unleashed, but darkness will be destroyed. That's Luke's gospel. It's helpful actually to put this together with John's gospel because John keeps on, I think about eight or ten times, referring to this hour. So, Twice we find people trying to kill Jesus, but they can't. And John says they couldn't because his hour had not yet come. Then John tells us, Jesus says later, the hour has come. The hour for what? Well, he says the hour has come for him to be glorified. It's the hour of the glory of Jesus. And yet Jesus knows it's going to be a difficult hour. And so he says, What shall I pray? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this reason I came to this hour. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. It's the hour of darkness, but it's also the hour of glory. If you're familiar with John's gospel, you may know that chapter one introduces the themes of the gospel. And one of them is Jesus is the light whom the darkness cannot overcome. And it's at the cross that this happens fully. Darkness is unleashed on Jesus, but he never sins. He never gives up. He completes the plan. He pays for our sin. The darkness hasn't overcome him. Another theme that John 1 introduces is Jesus shows God's glory. And the glory is this. He's full of grace and truth. Well, again, it's at the cross that you see that best. You see grace and truth as Jesus dies to bring undeserved goodness to us, but to truly deal with our sins and not brush them under the carpet. That light shines most brightly in this hour of darkness. The hour of darkness is also the hour of glory. As I prepared this, I I tried to find things written on on this verse 53 in this phrase. Actually, there was uh, disappointingly little I could find. But I did find one writer who said, Satan seemed to triumph at the cross, but Jesus turned Satan's victory into his defeat on Easter Sunday. Well, I was disappointed to read that. It was a good writer, and I thought, no, you've not quite got it right. Easter Sunday showed Jesus had already gained the victory. The cross was the place of victory. Do you know what the first prophecy about Jesus was? Right back in Genesis 3, 
Verse 15, a seed of the woman would come and crush the snake's head, the snake being Satan. Well, there at the cross, Satan struck at Jesus and he tried to inflict a fatal bite on his heel. And he did manage to get the bite in. But Jesus' heel came down on Satan's head and crushed him. Jesus won at the cross. Or Luke puts it this way. Luke wrote, wrote a second book, Acts, and he explains it like this. Chapter 4, verse 27. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Amazing. The powers of darkness plotted. They carried out their wicked plans. They really did do what they had wanted to do. And everything they did was what God had decided beforehand would happen. The hour of darkness was the hour of glory. Well, let's let's move forward from that hour, 2000 years. What does this mean for us? So fourthly, this was a unique hour. It was unique. The powers of darkness had their hour, but it was just an hour. Okay, not just 60 minutes, but it was just a defined time, limited time, not to be repeated. Because Jesus won. And Jesus is sitting down now on the throne because he won. Where does that leave the powers of darkness now? Well, it's a little like this. Back in 2017, there was a film released called Darkest Hour, interestingly. And it was about that dark hour, 75 years ago or so, a bit more than 75 years, when Europe was dominated by Nazi Germany and Britain was alone, almost alone, and very vulnerable. And the film's about how against the odds Britain won the Battle of Britain. And then later, the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, and that made defeat by Germany certain. But they had to wait nearly a year for VE Day. VE Day had been made certain, yes, but they had to wait for it. Now, I have to admit, that's the British version of the war, and it isn't quite true. Sorry for those of us who are patriotic, it's not quite true. Actually, already well before D-Day, Russian successes on the Eastern Front had made the defeat of Germany certain. We don't like to admit it was the Russians who did a lot of winning the war. They'd already made the defeat of Germany certain. But anyway, the point still holds. The point is the decisive battles had been won, but they had to wait for peace to come. Now, the cross of Jesus was the decisive battle. The one and only decisive battle. And Jesus won it. And yet, like Hitler over that last year of war, Satan is still thrashing around, causing an awful lot of suffering and trouble but his doom is sealed. He's had a fatal blow to the head. And what does that mean for you now? Well, it means surrender to Jesus. Leave the defeated side and join the winning side. 
You see, if you're not trusting in Jesus, if you're not recognising him as your king, both to care for you and to rule over you, you're a rebel because Jesus is king. There's, There's no such thing as being a neutral in the world of Jesus. You're on the defeated side. And you must surrender. You must stop your resistance to Jesus' rule because that's what it is. And even if you don't recognise it, I'm doing my own thing, living my own life. Well, that's resistance to Jesus who rules over you. So surrender to him. Trust him as the king to care for you and bow to him as the king to rule over you. We've had our VE Day celebration, so back to another World War II illustration. After VE Day, some units of the German army were still fighting. Some of them refused to lay down arms. They needed to be persuaded. You have lost. You must surrender. A thing I didn't know until recently, and that quite shocked me, was when some of those Germans surrendered to the Americans... The Americans handed them over to the Russians, knowing full well the Russians would torture and kill them, which is just what they did. Shocking. But if you surrender to Jesus, oh, you don't have to be in any doubt. He is so merciful. Even we see evidence of it here in Luke 22. Even when Judas turns up to betray him, he speaks so kindly to Judas to reason him out of that betrayal. To give him a chance to turn away from it. Even in Luke 22, as the thugs grab Jesus, he reasons with them to prompt them to turn from this wickedness. Even after they've killed him and he's risen, his good news comes to some of those very people who've killed him. And some of them turn to Jesus and receive mercy. Jesus is the victorious warrior. He's won. But he's also so gently, caringly welcoming. So if you're not trusting him, you need to surrender your life to him. Lastly, one last thing we need to know. This was a typical hour. (laughs) You say you've just said this was a unique hour. No, but also lastly, it was a typical hour. Not that it's normal. It's far from normal, but it typifies the way things work in the world, because this is God's world and yet a world in rebellion against him. The cross shows there is real evil power, but God is in control and has defeated it. And while that was a unique event, It also tells us what's going on still now. I'll give you some examples. There's a verse in the Bible, Romans 8, verse 28. Wonderful verse. It says, all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. No, not all things are good. There is real evil power. But God has defeated it. And so he is able to work all things together for good. He's able to turn the hour of darkness into an hour of glory still today. Here's here's an example from the Old Testament. You may know the story of Joseph, this young man whose brother sold him into slavery in Egypt. What an evil act. And later on, when he's speaking to his brothers and they're reconciled to each other, 
He says to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It wasn't a good act. There is real evil in the world. But God's defeated its power. And then, back in the day of Joseph, he turned it to good. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, you'll know the Bible ends on this note. It ends with there is real evil in the world and it inflicts real suffering. But that book also tells us the lamb who was killed is the lion who roars. And through it all, he is executing God's good plan. So, of course, COVID-19 is not good. That businesses are going bust and people are losing their jobs is not good. That there are so many deaths is not good. But trust God in the darkness of our current situation. Back at the cross, he turned the hour of darkness into an hour of glory. And still today, he can turn this time of darkness into a time to glorify himself. Trust him, he's in control. There is real evil. The Bible doesn't lead us to underestimate it or to play it down. It is real. But God's in control and he has defeated it. So don't stay on the defeated side. Are you still on the defeated side? Get off that side and surrender to Jesus. And when you're on his side, you can trust him even in the darkness.